And so I want to just turn, we're going to go to John chapter 6, starting in verse 22. John 6, 22 to 25. And as you're turning there, um, Pastor Matt actually preached on this passage recently as he was going through uh, the book of John. And so I'll just remind you that we're going to pick it up in verse 22. But what has previously happened at the start of chapter 6 is Jesus just fed the 5,000. Um, and so that context of having that crowd, um, being the people who Jesus has just interacted with is going to be significant and important. So we're going to start and I'll just read, we're going to read 22 uh, to 35, and then we're going to, I'll ask a couple questions as we kind of digest it together. So this is Matthew or Matthew, John chapter six, uh, starting in verse 22, it says this. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, God, the father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And then 35 is where we're going to end here. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so uh, we could certainly keep going in this passage, but just for the sake of time, we're just going to kind of stop it there. And I'm just Again, keeping in the context, the thought here that this is Jesus has just fed, uh, fed the 5,000, and that's the crowd that's being referred to here. Um, Let me ask this question uh, that I'd ask that you would answer. What is the crowd actually seeking uh, here? As you read through this, as we just read through this, what is the crowd seeking? Food. Okay, they saw they saw what he did once. Maybe he could do it again. I wrote down the word show. Right, just another another show, another miracle, and even like that what just happened really happened kind of a thing, right? All right. So what's what is Jesus's response to them when they? you know, when they're coming, kind of coming after him, how does Jesus respond to them? And maybe, maybe not just read what it says there, but it's kind of summarize what his response is back to this crowd. What does he say back?
Yep. If you look at verse 26, he says, you're not seeking me. Um, or you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Again, just kind of calling them out that you're only here for a show, uh, not because you want to like know me. Um, okay, so then as we just kind of keep trying to summarize this a little bit, uh, what is their response to Jesus kind of calling them out? Right. And so this is the key phrase that I just want to zero in on is their response here is what must we do to be doing the works of God? And I would argue that we a lot of times approach our uh, walks with God in many of the same ways. Like, God, what do I, what do I need to do? What do I, what do you want me to do? What are the, what are the five steps? What are the 10 things I need to do? What are the four things I need to stop doing um, to be doing what you want me to do? I think that's a, I think a lot of people would look at the Bible as like a list of just rules and things that we need to follow. But, you know, it's pretty clear. I mean, they just say, what do we need to do to be doing the works of God? And it's interesting. Uh, you know, let's take a look at what Jesus's response is. And you would think, you know, I feel like they've kind of given this open door to Jesus. Like, okay, what do you want us to do? And he could have said anything. And if you look at verse 29, Jesus answers them and he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So you'll notice his answer is not, you know, a list of five things that they should do. He doesn't give them a list of commands that they need to follow. He literally says, believe in me, um, the one that the father has sent. And he then goes on, and when you get to verse 35, I know I'm skipping a little bit there, but he goes to verse, if you look at verse 35, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There's this picture here that Jesus is saying, I am the only thing that's going to satisfy you. There's no list of things that you're going to accomplish. There's no 10 things you can do or can't do that are going to satisfy you. Um, but it's literally just me that's going to satisfy you. Um, and one of the things that like, we just want to continue to keep in front of all of us, myself included, as we go through these, we're going to, I mean, what's called class is called habits of grace, right? We're trying to develop good habits, but we never want our habits to be the end of the discussion, right? The, the point of the habit is to develop our love and our belief and our faith in Christ. And we're just going to do that through the avenue of these habits that we're going to try to develop. And so um, our goal, and we, you'll hear RC and I say this a lot over the coming weeks, um, that our goal is never to be, uh, that these habits are check boxes, um, that we can just say, yep, I did this today, I did this today. But our goal is to cultivate a love for Jesus, a belief in Jesus, our deep in our faith um, in him. And we're gonna do it through these certain, um, through these habits. Um, it's interesting, right now I'm, I'm on a, um, I'm on a Bible reading plan with through the YouVersion app. And I actually laughed this morning as I would, did my reading and I clicked my thing and it like puts a little checkbox there. I thought like, like, I know that like for me, like I need to see that checkbox. Like that's a problem if it were, if it says like, and then I'll say you're a day behind if you're not caught up, like that checkbox is important. And I literally like this morning as I was pushing it, I was checking like, I'm literally telling people don't check the boxes and here I am checking a box. Um, but again, the whole idea just being 
and obviously you versus not trying to make you into a checklist person, but like just that idea that sometimes I think our human nature is to go find check boxes because we're, we're good at that, right? Like we can handle like crossing things off the list. Um, my wife is a list person and loves to cross things off the list. She'll even write things that she's already done on the list so she can cross it off. Right. Um, so I think, I think that's our natural tendency is we like lists and we like being able to check things off, but that's not what's happening here. We want to be, uh, people who are, um, we are eating of the bread. We want to be satisfied in what Christ um, has done for us. Um, I wrote this down that God isn't after our begrudging submission, but instead joyful belief that leads to obedience, right? Is it important that we, that we obey and we are, we have lives that are, you know, match what God wants us to? Yes. But the order of those things is important, right? It's our belief that leads to our obedience, not our obedience that leads to our belief. And the order of those is really, really, uh, really, really important. So with that in mind, um, I want to just consider for a moment here, I'm going to share my screen. This was our, um, this was our kind of homework or our thing that we wanted to consider from last week, which is, what are some specific things that God uses to, and I don't know if we used this phrase last week or not, but it's the phrase I often use. What are some specific things that God uses to stir your affections for Jesus? And then the counter argument or the counter point to that would be the question at the bottom. Are there certain things that rob you of that joy? And we right, went we through went. and talked about a couple different things uh, from a couple different people last week, but I just wanted to open it up. And um, certainly if you, I'd love to hear from everybody, but it doesn't have to be everybody. But if there's, you want to pick one of the two of those things to, uh, to talk about, you can. Is, if you've already kind of shared, you just want to maybe reiterate what you said, that'd be great. But are there, is it, does anybody have anything um, that kind of stands out to you from what you've thought through in your own life of things that stir your affections for Jesus or maybe something that robs you of that joy? Would anybody be willing to share um, anything that you've thought over the last week or two? I know for me, it's always an adjustment. Now this school year obviously has been very different uh, the way it's ended, but I know it's for me, it's always an adjustment kind of going from school mode to then like, what does life look like over the summer and, you know, being around kids a lot more. And um, usually Amanda would do a, a summer rec program over the summer. And so she'd be gone. And I'd have the kids from eight to three on a lot of days. And that obviously is not happening this summer. And so I know in me that it takes me time to develop a new, like to develop different new, I guess, new habits over the summer that just look a little bit different. Um, and so like, even just thinking of things that rob me of that joy is like just that extra 10 minutes of sleep sometimes can just rob me of that. Like just those, those, those things that I know I, I need to get up and I need to be active or whatever it is, but just the, the extra sleep can kind of get me sometimes. And so, um, yeah, but I appreciate it. Those are really good things. And I just want like, again, our hope here is to just, that's like, that's what we want to do is we want to build each other up and we want to be, uh, known for our love and affection for, uh, for God and for Christ. So, um, and just so, I mean, I've said a number of times that our goal for our class is to cultivate the joy through specific habits. Um, and just like we looked at last week, we looked at Zacchaeus and we looked at the blind man. Um, what they both did is they put themselves in the way of Jesus. They kind of got in his way and kind of made us 
a little bit of a scene and tried to get his attention. And um, yeah, they kind of got in his way. And if you remember, it's one of my favorites from the book that we had, which is the light switch example. The idea that, you know, when you go and flip on a light switch, you actually have no ability to control the electricity that's coming through your outlets, right? So um, I have, um, like, if PPNL decides they're going to shut my electricity off, my light switch is going to be completely useless at that point. Like, I'm not the one who provides the electricity, but I do have the ability to use the light switch to, um, to provide electricity to the specific thing. And so point being is, you know, we want, we can't make, uh, you know, um, we can't force God to do anything, but there are certain avenues that God blesses and he wants us to be a part of um, as we consider our walks with him. And they're what we would uh, call these habits that we're trying to look at. We're trying to turn on the light switch of our walks with Christ so that God can pour out his grace and accomplish his work in us. And we're going to do that through um, a couple habits. And so the first habit that we're going to look at for the next couple weeks here is uh, reading God's word. And so today we're going to, we're going to start just looking at like, I think every one of us say, yep, reading God's word is important. Um, but we want to just take, we're actually going to spend a couple weeks on God's word and developing good habits around God's word. Tonight's just going to be more of an overview. And so I want to, tonight the goal is in the next, uh, you know, 20 minutes or so is to try to answer these four questions. What is the Bible? Why is the Bible important to read? Why is it important to read regularly? And what we will submit should be a daily habit. And then that last question of why do we struggle uh, with this? So let's jump into the first question of uh, what is the Bible? Well, certainly we can go very factual and say that the Bible is a collection of 66 books. It's written by dozens of authors. It has, a, uh, has varying literature styles. It's written over the course of many hundreds of years. And But what I would submit is that's not a really accurate representation of when somebody says, what is the Bible? That if somebody just spit that information out to you, I'm not sure that, that would tell us a whole lot. Um, so here's what I want to try to do. Um, try to go find the comment section of the, of the Zoom Future, uh, if you can go find the comment. Whoops, comment section. Can we find the comment? All right, and well, here's what I want you to answer. If like, if you were trying to describe what the Bible is to somebody who is either not familiar or they're just kind of vaguely familiar with the Bible, what would you say to them? So if you were gonna like, so just like, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to just wait on submitting your answer. We did this last week or last time, but just like type something out. Don't send it yet. Um, and if you were going to try to, maybe you have to conference with your buddy, you know, uh, but if you were going to try to describe to somebody what the Bible is, um, who is maybe vaguely familiar or not familiar, how would you describe what it is? And what I would kind of just submit that there are a couple of things that I think that are important that we need to consider that, that the Bible is something that God, it's God given to us and it's inerrant, right? So it's a perfect words that God's given to us. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 says this, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy spirit. The idea that, um, 
that the words that we read when we read from the Bible are God-given words to, um, to the people who actually wrote them down. So these are not just man's thoughts, but these are God's words to us. Um, I saw in the comments, and I just closed it, so I'm not going to put pull back up, but it, this is, it's a book that tells us about who God is and what he's like. It tells us about who we are and what we are like. Um, it's primarily a story um, of God and how God interacts with man. And so there's, I think a lot of those ideas that you kind of came up with there are fleshed out in that. In the book, Habits of Grace, that, we, that we've kind of been going through, they have this quote, which we thought was just really, really powerful. It just says this, the one who created us and sustains us moment by moment has expressed himself to us in human words. Like, think about that, that the one who has created us and sustains us moment by moment has decided to tell us about himself in human words. And it keeps going. It says creation and new creation both begin with the voice of God. Thinking of back to Genesis and uh, our new creation begin with the voice of God. He initiates and he does so by speaking. This self-expression of God is so deep and rich and full that it is not just personal, but a person. Right. So we have the word being Jesus, like God has decided to express himself to us in words and how beautiful that is for us to then have the opportunity to get to know him that way. Um, so when we think about the Bible, I would submit that the Bible isn't primarily uh, about you. It's about God, but it is primarily for us. Kind of a weird way to say it, but the Bible isn't primarily about you, but it is primarily for you. And on the side there, I have written cat and dog theology. Um, this idea, I've heard this when I was probably in high school, but it has stuck with me. It comes from this book called cat and dog theology. And the whole idea, you're like, where is he going with this? Right. Um, like a cat, the, the idea is, and I, I'm a dog person. I don't really have a dog. I'm not, I don't love like, or I'm not like super crazy dog person, but I'm a dog person in comparison to a cat person. In fact, I can't stand cats. That may, maybe we have just lost our friendship. I'm not sure. Um, but the idea here is that when for a cat, okay, I think we would all agree like cats, you know, they're out for themselves. Like I, you know, a dog, if you leave for three seconds and you, you know, close the door behind them and then you come back, they're so excited to see you. They just think it's the greatest thing ever that you decided to come back. A cat, you go out and come back. They're like, yeah, you could have stayed out a little longer. Like there's really no point in you being here. And the idea here of cat and dog theology is this. How do we approach the Bible? Do we approach the Bible like a cat or do we approach the Bible like a dog? And what I mean by that is a cat, and again, I don't think any cats would say this out loud, uh, but this is a cat's attitude. You feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you love me, I must be God. Versus the dog says, you feed me, you pet me, you shelter me, you love me, you must be God. The cat reads the Bible and says, what am I supposed to get out of this? How is this going to affect me? Whereas the dog reading the Bible says, what does this passage teach me about the character of God? The cat looks for mankind in the Bible, whereas the dog knows that God is actually the main character of the Bible. The cat, and I, this is going to sound really harsh, but and I don't think anybody says this as a cat, but cats believe that God exists to serve people. And a dog believes that we exist to glorify and serve God. And so when we come to the Bible and we are, or when we are studying God's word, I think we have the ability to approach it in different ways. So we can approach it like a cat and we can look at it and say, okay, 
what am I going to get out of this today? Or we can approach it like a dog and say, okay, I want to know God better. And I don't know, I have this visual of our dog, like literally, sometimes he drives me crazy. Uh, but like literally you leave the house. He's like so sad that you're gone. You come back. He's so excited. Like that there's just this joy that there comes in that relational aspect that comes with the dog. And so when we read the Bible, we want to read the Bible like a dog. If that, so just leave with that little tidbit tonight. Uh, read the Bible like a dog. That'll take you really far in life. Um, okay. So that's, that's idea of what the Bible is. And it's, it is a story that is um, about God primarily. Um, and it's then about how he interacts with us and it's primarily for us. So then the question becomes, okay, well, why is the Bible important to read? Okay. So why is the Bible important to read? Well, one, just one example of scripture that can help to kind of, um, think through this is second Timothy three, 16 and 17, which says this, that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for, so Literally, my question is, why is the Bible important to read? It says right here that the scripture is profitable for and has a list. So it's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. And reproof and correction can sometimes be you know, interlinked, but reproof is more on the negative aspect where you show your error. You show somebody their error um, is reproof versus correction is more on the positive side. It shows the process to make something right. Uh, so we have teaching, we have reproof, correction training in righteousness um, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So again, you see those words, teaching, reproof, correction, training, uh, uh, equipping um, are some of the key words that go there. Pastor Matt actually preached on something similar on back in January of last week. And he's like, when in just in talking about like, why should we read God's word? He wrote, he had these um, five things. He kind of used the last two as one bullet point, but he said that God wants to grow you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to equip you. He wants to confront you and he wants to shape you. And I think a lot of those five things that are written there are in uh, that passage here from second Timothy, right? That God wants to grow us. He wants to encourage us. He wants to equip us, confront us and shape us. And a lot of that, how God does that is on us uh, taking time to read uh, to read his words. So with that in mind, okay, we want to just ask, we said, okay, what is the Bible? Great. We got that. Okay. What is, um, why is the Bible important to read? So we got that. It's like, okay, but do I have to read it regularly? Like, is that actually something that is important? And I have, I actually stumbled across an article in the last two weeks that I found really helpful in this light. And so I pulled a quote from here. Um, her name that wrote the article was Catherine Forster. And she said this, and in, just in regards to the, I should, should I do this every day? She said this, you might even wonder, is it really necessary to read the Bible every single day? It's not like you're going to remember every one of those devotional times. Some days are more striking than others, but mostly they go by one after another, blending together into a kind of blur. Sometimes it's tempting to skip the daily practice of Bible reading in favor of something that seems like it will create a more vivid or powerful experience. And so here's the question. And I want you to, I want to as a disc, have a quick discussion about this, which is like, why is daily? And like we would submit, have a good habit is every day. Why is daily Bible reading important in light of this, that quote that I just shared of this, not going to make a difference on it. Like every day, like, 
there's times I don't even, you know, I'm not going to remember. It's not going to be a life-changing moment when I wake up tomorrow morning and have my devotions, right? But why is it significant to read the Bible on a regular or on a daily basis? Any thoughts there? Yeah, there's that relational aspect that, you know, if you only showed up to your marriage in the big moments, right? Like that wouldn't go, that wouldn't go well either. And I know for me, I forget, right? Like, like I, I need reminders regularly of, of who God is and who I am and how I'm supposed to relate. And what am I supposed to, like, I need those reminders uh, on an everyday, on a regular basis, not just uh, here and there. Yeah, another word that maybe we could use to describe the Bible is its truth, right? And maybe and much of what we see around us and on social media and the news is not necessarily truth, and certainly not truth like the way the Bible is truth. Um, so yeah, it's a good grounding, uh, grounding thing too. I also think and this will lead into the quote that I have on the next slide here. You know, you think about. Uh, I always use the illustration and we might come back to this in a future week. I always use the illustration of my kids, right? So tomorrow when my kids wake up, they're not going to look any taller to me. They're, they're going to look like they're the same height as they were today. Um, but when you go and you haven't seen a family member in a little while, right? So maybe there's been a few months or a year or whatever, since you've seen a certain family member and then you finally see them again, like what is the first thing that they almost ever like, Every time it's like, oh my word, how much you've grown since the last time I saw you. It's like, I've been watching them every day. It doesn't look like they've grown at all. And I think the same is true in our own lives that our, our growth each day is so, it can be so small, but over the course of time, it's so significant. And so being in God's word and growing on a regular basis um, is important, which leads to this quote here, which just says this. Um, this is the same, the same article. It says, however, sanctification doesn't generally happen in leaps and bounds. It's a constant daily and hourly process of God working in us. And one of the biggest ways he works is through his word. We can't always tell that it's happening. Sometimes our Bible reading seems boring or pointless or even fruitless, but God's word does not fail in its purpose. He is working in and through that daily, faithful, consistent discipline. Like eating oatmeal instead of pastries for breakfast, it will have a powerful effect in the long term even if it's hard to see in the moment. And here's what Isaiah 55, 11 actually says. It says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So that when we are reading God's word, it's accomplishing something in us, whether or not we necessarily feel like it's accomplishing maybe all that we want it to. Um, or not. So with all of that said, and we're going to kind of close here because I know we're already at 915, but I just want to end with this and maybe just one or two people can, can chime in here and maybe we can kind of pick this thought back up next week is why do we struggle, right? If we say like the Bible is this great thing, it's God's love letter to us. It's the God who created us wants to communicate to us with words. And, you know, we know all of these things. Why do we struggle with this? And then we'll kind of try to tackle in the next coming weeks, like, okay, how do we get past some of those struggles? But why just, is there, anybody want to chime in with just an answer or two here? Why do we struggle?
Okay, so then here's what, here's what we're, our goal is for this week, okay? There's two words here, feasting and fasting. Um, and we'll send this out in an email because I'm going to go kind of quickly through this. But we're going to ask, and like part of what we want to accomplish over these next few weeks as we think about God's words, we want to feast on God's word. We want to be, um, yeah, we want to go after God's word in a feast, like as like thinking about like a literally a feast. We want to just feast on God's word. And so what we're going to ask is that as a group that we actually read Colossians 1, 1 to 14 every single day. I know I'm just adding something else to your Bible reading plan, but just read Colossians 1, 1 to 14 every day. And then to also think about like what tips do you have for effective Bible reading as we kind of go forward. And in the email or what, or I think we'll probably send out, it'll say, uh, I wrote, what did I write down? We're going to read Colossians 1, 1 to 14 each day and be a dog right? Like go after it and just asking, okay, God, who are you? How can I know you better as I read this? And we're going to just kind of soak in this passage, the same 14 verses all week. So just thinking through that passage. And then if you have any tips and things that you think of are ways that you can be effective in your Bible reading, maybe think about that for next time as well. And then the other side of the screen there, fasting. How can you, when you talk about some of the things that stir our affections for Jesus, but there are also those things that pull us away. And so can we get away from some of those things um, by putting those things away, whatever those things would look like. And it's not motivated by guilt as it says there. It's not us equivalent to saying, you know, give me the five steps, give me the four things I need to start doing, the four, five things I need to stop doing, but just in, out of a love for God, we're going to say, okay, we want to feast on your word and we want to put away things that are distracting. Um, as we do that. Okay. Does that make sense? And we're going to try to just, again, just soak in that. And what we're going to do, what we plan to do is just kind of read a little bit of Colossians each week and just kind of see where, where God takes us as we do that. So, all right, let me pray. And then, uh, and then we'll get out of here. So father, thanks for tonight. We're thankful for your word. And, you know, I think it's something that I should probably pray and be thankful for each and every day. And too often I just quick open my Bible and start reading right away. But like how, incredible is it that you've chosen to express yourself to us in words and even as we've talked about tonight like how great is it that not only did you express yourself in words but they're words that we have in our language we've got multiple copies in our house that we have the ability uh we're, we're literate enough to be able to read it and uh so god may this week we just enjoy and be thankful for that god as we as we go throughout our Bible reading, may we look for ways we can learn about who you are, your nature, your character, um, instead of just looking for how we fit into the picture, but look for ways that you are, uh, you're moving and who you are, and then secondarily how that affects, uh, affects us. So God, just pray for us as a group here that we would feast on your word and we'd fast from the things that pull us away from you uh, this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.